You know, today more than ever, I sense the imminent, the immediate return of the second coming. Until he comes, time is limited and we should be sharing the gospel of this new covenant with those who haven't heard. We should go out and proclaim Jesus Christ. Amen? So good morning again. You know, the word of God has prepared us for the events of the day. The war in Israel. And this event has exposed the world's deep animosity toward the Jews. Apparently facts don't matter. Just hate. And the word of God has revealed the why, the how, and the end. And so the title of my sermon this morning is Israel our encouragement. For my text, I have selected verses, and these verses are printed in the NIV in the order addressed in the sermon. Only the key verses are printed, and they're lengthy. But this will spare you the time in searching in your Bibles or your phones, and you can therefore focus on the message, because the message is there for you already. The outline is also provided for your easy reference. Now, I suggest you keep the handout as a beginning reference for a future study that you want to build on on this subject. As I always ask you to follow with me in Psalm 1914. So dear Lord, this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. 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 You know, if you pick up a Bible or a newspaper, or listen to the newscasters. On any given day, you can rest assured that you're going to learn something about the nation of Israel. And contrary to what the political individuals and pundits say, Israel, not the United States, not Russia, not China, is the most important country in the world. And Jerusalem... Not Washington, not not Moscow, not Peking, not Paris, nor London. Jerusalem is the most important city on earth. Why? You cannot understand the future. You cannot understand Bible prophecy. You cannot even understand the ways and the workings of God if you don't understand Israel. The Jew is God's God's yardstick, it's it's God's measuring rod, it's God's blueprint, God's outline, God's plan for the future. You know, the Jew is proceeding, going along according to the word, and the world is going along according to the Jew. Israel is to the nations what the sun is to the planets. And just as surely as the planets revolve around the sun, the nations of this world revolve around Israel. Israel is the geographical center of the world. And in your handouts, let's begin with Ezekiel. Ezekiel 5.5 states, tells us, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. This is Jerusalem, which I have set in the center of the nations with all countries all around her. In the church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem, There is an inscription that reads, This is the center of the earth, 
And it is here in this tiny nation that three great continents come together, Europe, Asia, and Africa. And it is the spiritual center of the world. It is here that Jesus was born, Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus was buried, Jesus was raised, and Jesus ascended. And Jesus will return to Jerusalem to rule and to reign over this earth. Well, the three major religions of the world, of the earth, Islam, Christianity, Judaism, they claim that Jerusalem is a spiritual capital. It is the prophetic center of the world. And if you want to know what time it is on God's clock, look at Israel. If you want to know what day it is on God's calendar, look at Israel. If you want to know what degree it is on God's thermometer, look at Israel. And you can summarize biblical prophecy in three words, Jews, Jerusalem, and Jesus. And they are all inextricably interwoven. And it is the political center of the world. You know, it is here that Armageddon, the last battle of the last war, will be fought. And David exhorted us in Psalm 122.6. He wrote, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Now, why did he not say, pray for peace on earth? Well, listen, as we'll see. Because there will be no peace on earth until there is peace in Jerusalem. And there will be no peace in Jerusalem until, there is, until the Prince of Peace returns. So when we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, know that we are not asking for a ceasefire. We're not even asking for all the anti-Semitics that exist in the world for them to change their heart. It's impossible. We are praying for the second coming. Well, let's begin by looking at your outline. Number one, Israel's majestic history. You know, every Jew on the face of this earth is a literal miracle. If you ever begin to doubt that God is alive and well and still sits on the throne, just look at Israel. It was God himself who loved this nation, called this nation, and blessed this nation from all the peoples of the earth. And do you realize that the Jewish nation is the only nation whose origin can be traced with total accuracy? See, no one knows who the first Englishman was. No one knows who the first Swede was or the first German was or the first Chinese. But the whole world knows that Abraham was the first Hebrew. And the history of Israel begins with a literal miracle. Israel today is a result of a miraculous birth. This birth of Isaac to Abraham is recounted beginning in Genesis 18, verses 1 and 2, which state, The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre, while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. Then verses 9 to 14. Where is your wife Sarah? They asked him. They're in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, 
and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? And then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. See, God promised Abraham that he would make of him a great and mighty nation. He promised him a son. Now, at the time God promised Abraham this, as you know, most of you, Abraham was over 100 years old. His wife Sarah was no spring chicken. She was 90 years of age. To put it simply and bluntly, their get-up-and-go had got up and went. All of their reproductive powers were dead. And God asked a fair question that calls for a simple answer. He asked, is there anything too hard for the Lord? The answer to that is no. While Abraham believed God, he did not waver at the promise through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Well, God honored his word and Abraham's faith and gave him a son. And the rest is, as they say, history, a majestic history. So today, there are over 18 million Jews, also known as Israelites or Hebrews, who inhabit the earth all because of the miraculous birth of a baby boy to a 100-year-old father and a 90-year-old mother who dared to believe God. Second, in your outline, consider Israel's majestic heritage. Well, for almost four millennia, Israel has had a noteworthy heritage. So first, consider A in your outline, a heritage of defection. You know, when God founded the nation of Israel, he gave Israel four things. He gave Israel a land, he gave Israel a law, he gave Israel a language, and he gave Israel a Lord. But Israel defiled the land. Israel defied the law. Israel deserted the language, and Israel denied the Lord. And because of the rebellion against God, Disciplined and as, and as a chastisement, the Lord took the land that he promised them away from them. And the Lord even predicted that this would happen. Consider Deuteronomy 28, which states, verse 15, However, if you do not obey the Lord your God, you do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees, I am giving you today all these curses will come on you and overtake you. Verse 25, the Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You will come at them from one direction to flee from them in seven, and you will become a thing of horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. Verse 37, and you will become a thing of horror, a byword, and an object of ridicule among all the peoples where the Lord will drive you. Verse 63, And just as it pleased the Lord to make you prosper and increase in number, so it will please him to ruin and destroy you. You will be uprooted from the land you are entering to possess. And finally, verse 64. Then the Lord will scatter you among all the nations from one end of the earth to the other. 
And there you will worship other gods, gods of woods and stone, which neither you nor your ancestor have known. Well, listen. What God predicted is exactly what happened. Israel rebelled, they rejected God, and then they were overwhelmed by pagan nations and deported from the land. The final time this happened, Jesus predicted in Luke 21, 24. He said, they will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So, for more than 2,000 years, the Jews have been dispersed, dispelled, displaced, and despised by the nations. Jerusalem was trampled by the Gentiles. But does this mean that God is through with the Jew? Consider next B in your outline, a heritage of correction. Well, God punishes his children. God chastises his children. But God never completely rejects his children. Discipline is not denial, and discipline is not desertion. Let me give you three rock-solid truths about God and Israel that you should never forget. First, God's people cannot be destroyed. Two, God's promise cannot be denied. And three, God's purpose cannot be defeated. And God made a promise to the nation of Israel. Jeremiah 31.10 states, Hear the word of the Lord, you nations. Proclaim it in distant coastlands. He who scattered Israel will gather them and will catch and will watch over his flock like a shepherd. And this promise was repeated in Ezekiel 11.17, which says, states, Therefore say, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I will gather you from the nations and bring you back from the countries where they have been scattered, and I will give you back the land of Israel again. And that is why the Jews cannot be assimilated or eliminated. Where are the Babylonians? Where are the Hittites, the Amalekites, the Philistines, the Assyrians? They are no more. But the Jew still stands because God has a plan for them. You know, we call America the melting pot of the world, and so we are. We have assimilated and absorbed Africans, Europeans, Asians, Scandinavians, but we have not assimilated or absorbed the Jew. Oh, the world and the devil have tried, but I am sure to the amazement of both, the most important date in the 20th century, May 14, 1948, finally came to pass. And when that important event of the 20th century finally took place, a nation was reborn in a day. A nation that was dormant and dead for 2,000 years was raised to life. How do you explain that? Well, consider your outline. See a heritage of protection. When this nation was reborn and recognized by the United Nations, there were approximately 650,000 Jews living in the land. Just enough to be able to inhabit a large metropolitan city in America. Do you know what they were surrounded by? 
They were surrounded by 40 million Arabs. 40 million people who vowed and declared the moment they came into existence that they would be driven into the sea and destroyed. And that remains their goal. It's written in their charters. You hear the cry, restore the Palestinians from the river to the sea. In other words, what they're saying, by annihilating the Jew from the river to the sea. And that tiny little nation was outnumbered in soldiers, out-equipped in arms, outclassed in vehicles. They were outnumbered 40 to 1 in troops, 100 to 1 in population, and 1,000 to 1 in military equipment. Consider also that just 24 hours before they became a nation, a Jew could be arrested for even having a gun. Now he had to defend himself against six Arab states. And the entire world thought to themselves, Israel's birthday is going to be short-lived. But the Jews went to work. They began to pass guns around. They bought ammunition wherever they could. They took boiler plates and welded them to the side of school buses to make tanks. And you can still see today some of those old, broken-down, homemade tanks. They took hoe handles, broomsticks, anything that could look like a rifle barrel and pretended it was a gun so they could at least frighten the enemy even if they could not shoot them. They used firecrackers instead of bullets to make it sound like the battle was even stronger and more fierce than it was. And when the Arab legion attacked, they came from every direction. They came from Iraq, they came from Lebanon, they came from Syria and from Egypt. And they attacked with all the fierceness and might that they could muster. Well, time does not permit me to tell you all the miracles in those battles that the Jews fought and won against such heavy odds. One example. In just one battle, 20,000 Arabs were captured by 400 Israelis. Do you remember the story in the Old Testament? Gideon was responsible for the defense of the Israelites. And the Midianites were coming down in full force and thousands upon thousands were coming down on Israel. He had a standing army that couldn't even stand up against those thousands. But that was not right for the, for the Lord. He wanted them reduced. So, for example, those that didn't drink water properly, like dogs, and didn't bring the water to their lips, they were, they were discharged. Gideon was left with 300 soldiers. Well, when, these, when the armies faced each other, I assume it was at night. Because the Israelis attacked, the 300 attacked those thousands with trumpets and lampposts, and it frightened the Midianites, and they scampered and they fled with fear. Now you think about that and this. By the time the United Nations stepped in, and they called for a truce, the Israelis had marched into Egypt and were 150 miles into the nation of Egypt. That little nation that was supposed to be exterminated was within just a few hours of extermination had taken more ground than they possessed against Egypt. How do you explain that? I'll tell you how I explain it. The fight was fixed. 
You know, the glory goes to God with this as it did for Gideon in the 300. Then in 1967, in that famous war, not called the Six-Day War, Israel, this time outnumbered more, 80 to 1, in just six days defeated Egypt, Syria, and Jordan. And when the war was finished, they had amassed three times the original size of their original territory. Today, Israel is a nation of four million. And only four million people in that nation. And they are now the fourth strongest military power in the world. They're the only Middle Eastern nation that produces its own tanks, planes, and munitions. Now, what has happened since the people have been restored to their nation? Well, first of all, the land has been revived. See, God promised this would happen when they returned. Consider Amos 9, verses 14 and 15, and it states, And I will bring my people Israel back from exile. Remember May 1948? They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. Who does the world have to fight to remove the Jews from Israel? Our Lord God. And now you would not know it now, but Israel, 60 plus years ago, was a land filled with rocks, dirt. 60% of the land was desert. Yet you go there today and you see the rocks, the dirt, and the dry desert turned into fertile farmland. Well, look again at Amos 9.14. I will bring back my people, Israel, back from the ex- from exile. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit from rocks, dirt, and desert. Israel. It only rains there in the winter. There is scarcity of water. And yet because of the most effective irrigation system in the world, the land now blossoms like a rose. Israel today is only one of six countries that produces enough food to feed itself and to feed someone else. And just 60 years ago, the most beautiful valley is now Armageddon. It was a mosquito-infested swamp, but now it's a fertile Valley that yields up to four different crops. In the last 35 years, they have planted over 100 million trees in the barren desert. These provide nutrients for the soil and oxygen for the vegetation. Listen to this. No one wanted that land prior to 1948. But now they want the paradise that is. Another thing that has happened, the law has been reinstituted. Even though God-fearing Orthodox Jews only compose 5% of the Jewish population, the foundation and the cornerstone of the law, the Sabbath, has been established. It's now the law of the land. 
So now you find that from sunup to sundown on the Sabbath, restaurants are closed, buses do not run, there's no television, and even hospitals are shut down except for the most dire emergencies. But what has been even more amazing is the language has been resurrected. See, most of the Old Testament of the Bible was written in Hebrew. And when the Lord Jesus spoke to the Apostle Paul on the Damascus Road, Paul testifies in Acts 26, 14, that Jesus spoke to him in Hebrew. Yet Hebrew was a fairly dead language even in the time of Christ. Jesus spoke Hebrew, but mainly he spoke Aramaic. But a man by the name of Elizur ben Yehuda had a vision to revive that Hebrew language, and he lobbied and he fought until September the 23rd, 1922. The League of Nations officially recognized Hebrew as an official language in the world. It is the only dead language that has been restored to life in the history of mankind. Do you remember the Roman, the Roman Empire? It ruled the world. And Latin was a universal language. Yet who speaks language? Who speaks Latin today? Nobody. Nobody speaks Latin. Even the Catholic Church has ended the practice in their mass 65 years ago. But Hebrew is a language in a native in a mother tongue of Israel. All this is to is to, just to indicate that there is an invisible hand on these people. It has to be the hand of God. You see, the Jew not only survives, the Jew succeeds. Let's look a little bit into history to find out something a little more about these Jews. You're going to find that the Jew is indestructible, and yet he has left an indelible mark upon history. The Jews, remember, are not great in number. Only one-fourth of one percent of the world's population is Jewish. Yet they have won 12% or more of all the honors in medicine, health, music, public life, and science. Think of this. Though making up only one-fourth of one percent of the world's population, in the last 30 years, 25% to 33% of the Nobel Prize winners have been Jewish. But you know they've left a unique mark on America. Did you know that it was the Jew that financed Christopher Columbus's voyage? Did you know that it was a Jew, Hiram Solomon, that financed General Washington's bid in the Revolutionary War? Well, you may not know it, but practically every day you are affected in some way or another by a Jew. Have you ever taken an aspirin for a headache? Bayer, who developed the aspirin, was a Jew. Have you been vaccinated for polio? Jonas Salk was a Jew. Have you ever had a heart condition? The doctor that first prescribed digitalis was a Jew. Have you ever gone to the dentist and had him dent your gums before he started drooling away? Well, Stitcher, who developed Novocaine, was a Jew. Maybe you've gotten sick and had the doctor prescribe for you streptomycin. Waxman, who developed that, was a Jew. Ever been to a psychiatrist? You know that Sigmund Freud, 
The father of psychoanalysis was a Jew. Have you ever taken vitamins? Funk, the man who discovered and developed vitamins, was a Jew. And the greatest scientist, Albert Einstein, who discovered the theory of relativity, was a Jew. Are you a student of philosophy? Spinoza, the great father of philosophy, was a Jew. Now, you may think all of this is pure coincidence. I think it's sheer providence. I tell you, Israel is a nation that will not go away. She is an indestructible people. Now, do you know what it would take to destroy Israel? Listen, Jeremiah 31, 35 and 36 tells us. This is what the Lord says. He who appoints the sun to shine by day, who decrees the moon and the stars to shine by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar, the, Almighty, the Lord Almighty is his name. Only if these decrees vanish from my sight, declares the Lord, will Israel ever cease being a nation before me. If the sun quits rising and the moon quits shining and the waves of the sea roll no more, then and not before, Israel will cease to exist. Remember the four things I mentioned that Israel received from the Lord? First three, land, law, and language have been reclaimed. Only one left. Israel still has one problem. The Lord is still rejected, which leads me to my last point. So consider third in your outline, Israel's matchless hope. Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34 states, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it in their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sin no more. Now, if you go to Israel, you will know that this has not happened. But if you believe the word of God, you know that it's going to happen. And the question is, how is it going to happen? Well, the word of God prophesied, as we're seeing now, the world is going to continuously harden against Israel. The news media reports of today conclude that anti-Semitic sentiments are growing worldwide. And what I learned from the media, I have already learned from the word of God. But the word of God also reports that the last battle of the last war is coming. So listen to the prophecy of Zechariah 12.3. On that day, when all the nations of the earth are gathered against her, I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock for all the nations. All who try to move it 
will injure themselves. Current world events show that all the nations of the earth are headed and are ultimately and eventually going to gather against this nation of Israel to destroy her once and for all. It will look as if the final curtain has been drawn on this nation that steadfastly has refused to die. But at that moment, when it appears that all is lost, that the devil, Superman, the Antichrist, and the nations of the world will finally do to Israel what Israel has failed to do, failed to not, to not exist beforehand. Because the Lord Jesus is going to come down to the rescue. Zechariah 14, 2-3 prophesied, I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. The city will be captured, the houses ransacked, and the women raped. Half of the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. The Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on the day of battle. Listen, the Lord Jesus is going to come at the last minute and deliver Israel from certain destruction. When that happens... I want you to notice carefully Israel's response. Zechariah 12.10 states, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. And they will look on me, the one they have pierced. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a newborn son. Listen. The scales of blindness will finally fall from Israel's eyes. Her heart will be softened toward the Lord Jesus Christ. And in an instant, an entire nation will not only be saved physically, but will be saved spiritually. You know, Paul tells us in Romans eleven twenty six. so all Israel, all Israel will be saved. Now the word of God confirms God's plan for the Jew. It's clear that the only hope for Israel is not in the land, it's in the Lord. It's not in missiles, might, money, manpower, or treaties. It's in a master. And the only hope is not in a politician, it's in a person. And his name is Jesus. Know that the world cannot alter God's plan. The end is not the destruction of the Jew, but rather the Jew will come to Messiah. You say, well, what does it all have to do with me? Just this. If the Jew, God's chosen people, need Jesus, so do you. Whether it be Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, Jesus is not our best hope. He is our only hope. So let us now declare together in praise and worship, even so, Come, Lord Jesus. Listen, it will all be settled in the second coming and not before. Amen? I'm going to ask the praise team if they'll take the platform for one closing song of benediction.
our prayer. Shalom, shalom, Jerusalem. Peace be to you. And when Messiah comes for us, Christians, may his peace and his praise be found in you, Israel. You know, we sang how our hearts will be thrilled to say that the Jews have found the Messiah. And we see the things in the world going on in the media. It's just just incredible. They protest and they chant and they continue to believe that they can annihilate Israel from the river to the sea. When Jesus returns, 
he goes to Jerusalem. And what does he find in Jerusalem? Jews, Jews, Jews. Amen? 